good morning, afternoon or evening, depending on what time you are listening to this ED podcast. It is Friday at COP26, which means two things. Firstly, the ED COP26 covered podcast has been running for seven days straight. And secondly, it's Youth and Public Empowerment Day inside and outside the Blue Zone. As such, we're mixing things up this episode. We're talking activism with a splash of piri-piri sauce, sustainability leadership washed down with a nice refreshing pint, and Fridays for Future March where I suffer the existential crisis by realising I'm now into my 30s. All that and more on the COP26 Covered podcast. So yes, hello and welcome along to the show. You've probably realised that this is a different introduction from the one usually given to you by our content director Luke Nichols. That is because I, Matt Mace, am attempting to go undercover and take part in the Fridays for Future climate strike taking place in Glasgow this morning. I swapped the warmth and the crowds of the Blue Zone for the cold and the crowds today, but Sarah and Luke will be keeping things ticking over on the ED website. Surely glad that they've got a break from me sending them instructions for the day via WhatsApp. It's early morning here in Glasgow on a rather dreary day and I'm making my way up to Kelvin Bridge Park just up from the Blue Zone where thousands of climate protesters are set to take part in a youth climate march. I, however, am no longer youthful, as you'd no doubt tell from my haggard and bleary-eyed face if you'd seen me around the media centre this week. So I've been catching up on my pop culture, I've shed the suit for a jumper and hoodie and I'm basically doing my best Steve Bashumi meme from 30 Rock, minus the skateboard luckily. While I walk up to the protests, and you may be able to hear the drums and the marching in the background, let's dive in with our first interview of this episode. Last night, Sarah attended an event hosted by Nando's. The session was entitled, Why You Don't Have to Be Perfect to Join the Climate Movement, which saw a number of passionate youth climate activists discuss how anyone can get involved in the climate movement. So why I put on my wheelies and race down to the protests, let's hear from Sarah at last night's event. So yes, kicking off this podcast the day before Youth and Public Engagement Day, um, this is on the night of I think the Thursday, but time is construct here at COP um, and the podcast never sleeps and I'm delighted to be sat down with two young people that are using their platform um, to get everyone involved in climate activism and we've just had a panel on why you don't have to be perfect um, to be an activist. So I guess I'll let my speakers introduce themselves. Um, Angel, if I could maybe start with you. Yeah. So my name is Angela Artura. I'm based in Belfast. Um, I'm an activist, writer, anti-racism educator. Um, I have my Instagram page where I talk a lot about ethical consumption, anti-racism, slow fashion, and just how you can become a more ethical consumer and get involved in the climate crisis. Fantastic. And same question to yourself. So, hello, I'm Mike. Uh, I'm a content creator for Earthtopia. So we're the biggest eco-community on TikTok. Um, we launched the page, kind of growing tired of how negative conversations around climate change are and how little uh, resolutions and things that we can do um, are actually presented to us. So we launched a page that's focused purely on positive angles uh, and solution-based approach to what we can all do to make a positive difference to our environment. Great, and I understand that both of you have really seen momentum with your work growing since lockdown. So what's it like to be here with so many people and to see the fruits of that come together in in person? Is it what you expected? I think it's great to see. I think, you know, because majority of my work has been online, I've been doing a lot of Zoom discussions. um, And I think it's really nice to bring that into the real world um, almost. I don't think it makes it any more or less impactful, if that makes any sense. It's just sort of nice to be in person and to do these things. But I think with even 
over lockdown and there was a message that I wanted to get out there which is obviously you know anti-racism climate justice the intersections between the two of them and I always said to myself like if you want to reach the people you have to go to where the people are and during lockdown that was social media so for me like Instagram was one of the best ways I could try connect with people and get people involved with the conversation and just being able to step out of that and do you know more in real life panels I think it's really nice it also allows me to get out of my home country and my bedroom for a change so yeah TikTok is like that in a way but also not because things can just go viral at the at the click of a hat Absolutely. I think it's amazing being here um, and meeting so many people who are like-minded like us. Uh, our community are super vocal about what they want to see and how they're not happy about how climate change is um, happening and that they want to be more involved in these conversations. So it's so nice to be here and be able to have those conversations with young people and see that they're taking action on TikTok, but they're also putting their kind of feet on the ground and there's so many people present here who are passionate about making a considerable difference. And obviously it's all great to be talking with each other and feeling that momentum, but ultimately it's getting out to everyone else. And we know that some people aren't listening, we know that some people are listening but don't really know where to start or are a bit cynical, they haven't seen the progress they wanted to see in past years. And there was talk about how do we plant that seed, how do we start? So what's your advice for sort of meeting people where they are and starting that conversation if they're an individual? but at the same time making sure we don't extend that kindness to the people that have put this on the back burner for 26 years and it's, it's now or never for them. So I, I think uh, for so many young people, the reason they don't get involved in discussions on climate change is they feel like they're not old enough to vote. There's so few actions that they can actually take. Um, but joining a community like, uh, like Utopia on TikTok they can become part of a, a kind of bigger body where their collective voice really resonates and commands attention. Um, so I think that's a really unique opportunity that social media presents is for people that otherwise wouldn't engage in these kind of conversations to start building those connections and, and having these really impactful conversations. And on Earthopia, we're really passionate about speaking about things in a positive way. So often people kind of um, don't engage with climate conversations because they're kind of so numb to how much doom and gloom is being spread and how little progress seems to be made. So that's why we're passionate about kind of flipping that conversation on its head and making sure that those wins that we are having, and they are regular, um, are being promoted and that progress is being reported. There is not enough progress being made, but we can't forget the progress that is, is happening um, because if without that, we will be disillusioned and we won't continue to engage in these conversations because we feel too kind of lost in the, in the bigger picture. And there was talk there about perfection and the need to do what's sustainable for you and to fill your own cup before you pour into others. And I know that that goes on an individual level, but we work with people that do this as a job day to day. So that must get super exhausting as well. So what are your advices for making space for imperfection for yourself and, and setting those boundaries and focusing in? I think you know yourself whenever you've hit a wall and for me it's about taking that step back and reminding yourself you know you're not superhuman you're only a person I think whenever you do have a platform on social media which I would say mine isn't huge I actually don't make a big deal of mine at all to be honest but some people would say you know you still have a community of you know 40 odd thousand people online um, and that can get very overwhelming especially when you have people putting you on a pedestal you have fingers pointing at you if you do something wrong and it's about having hold space for joy and have a little grace for yourself sometimes 
and just being able to realize that you're not superhuman, you can't do it all, and just do what's most sustainable for you. It's a message I always try to promote. Um, and if you see someone online, you know, your favorite activist account or, or whatever, and you, know, you maybe see them not doing the most, or saying the most productive thing, it's okay to send you know, a little message of encouragement as long as it's not, you know, really really negative I would say and because that just is really bad just really backwards in my opinion so just about keeping the message positive and yeah yeah I think it's just important to remember that we're all kind of on this journey together like we no one has all the answers we're all still the science and um, the new innovations are happening so quickly that no one can possibly be on top of that the entire time so just accepting your kind of position and learning that it's okay to ask those questions and um to make sure that when you're framing those questions, it's done in a positive manner. Um, if someone has a different perception to you, it can be really important to kind of uh, engage with them rather than challenging them on, the, on that conversation to make sure that progress is being made and we're not just kind of wasting ground on inwards fighting when there's a much bigger picture that's the important thing to focus on. And how do you differentiate sort of when to be nice, have you said, and when to challenge? Because it's good me and you being nice to each other. We don't need to fight. I don't need to add to someone's inbox that I don't even no it's completely rude we wouldn't be bold enough to do it in real life but at the same time we've got national leaders here we've got corporations here um surely there's a different approach here to being nice if you're going in with the ceo or the world leader uh, no I, I completely agree and i think it's about learning when to scale that so by myself i might be scared to kind of uh approach things in a confrontational manner or to scream and shout about things in a certain way but when you've got, uh, we're in a fortunate position to have a community of over 184,000 people now. So we're, we're in a position to be able to scream and shout and say, actually, this, this isn't enough, like we need further action. And that's the exciting thing about being at COP is that we can start meeting those people who we can have those conversations with and start challenging perceptions uh, in a position that otherwise you might not be presented in. So I appreciate it's a late night here. We've got climate strikes in the morning. We've got COP again in the morning. Um, we've got trains to catch. We've got to make sure that we're staying hydrated and, as we've said, doing what's sustainable for ourselves. So I'll let you guys head off and thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having us. So as you can no doubt here, I have successfully infiltrated and am now part of the biggest climate march in Glasgow. Um, I've heard there's a few uh, famous faces about, but after uh, Greta Thunberg batted Luke's efforts for an interview away the other day, uh, I'm going to seek safety on the sidelines of this march. Um, and I am pleased to report I have actually found a familiar face. Uh, so welcome to the podcast, Krishna Busnia, Head of Marketing at Ecology and a ED30 Under 30 alumni. Krista, good to see you again. So good to be here on the ground. It's such a special week and time on the ground. We're literally seeing people uh, walk past us uh, and so energized to be to be here on the ground. It's been great. Yeah, I've had a chance to really kind of soak up the atmosphere in there and it, it does feel kind of special. Like I'm, I kind of made a resolution to myself that when I have kids, I'm, I'm definitely taking them to a, to a climate uh, march and protest. I think there's a real sense of something special in the air. Um, and what is it that, that brings you to, to the march, you and Ecology? What was it you were doing here earlier? So we, we, we're on the ground because we really want to soak this all up. I mean, uh, we're all about collective action and bringing people together uh, to really create a movement and all of these small, uh, you know, people 
coming together, not small people, but you know, small small changes added up uh, create huge collective action. So this is exactly what this day is all about: is people coming together, uh, sh you know, sharing their voices. And whenever kids are involved in in something like this, it becomes that much more powerful because their voices, they're the future generations that uh, that we're leaving this world to. Um, so we we need to listen to their voices. Oh, absolutely. They're, you know, they're the future, they're the future consumers, the workforce, the, they're, they're the future decision makers going forward. So I completely agree with that. And I was going to say, you know, these type of events, but it's not an event, it's an entire movement, really, um, you know, has been really key over the last few years in, in really kind of ramping up the pressure on, on governments and businesses to, to really accelerate action, specifically on climate um, and on nature and, and now a kind of convergence of the two. Um, but what is, I suppose, um, a big question is is whether the the demands and the protests and the marches that are happening outside of COP will kind of infiltrate into the discussions. Do you do you think that there's a benefit for world leaders, you know, standing back and, and watching and and kind of taking on board what's being said? I think it absolutely will, and I'll tell you how I know that. Uh, so, at Ecology, um, we're a subscription service that funds trees, uh, reforestation, planting of the trees and reforestation and climate solutions. And every time there's a protest like this or there's an IPCC report released or there's a big announcement in the press, uh, we see the numbers change, we see the numbers shift, we see businesses, we see individuals saying, oh my gosh, I need to do something, I need to, what can I, what can I, what solution is out there that I can at least start my journey on? So we definitely see uh, moments like what's happening this week, ever since Monday, increasing momentum for more action for both businesses and individuals. And I think um, that has to permeate, and I'm sure it is permeating inside the blue zone. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, these messages are very, very clear. There was another protest a couple of days ago on greenwashing, um, and that was really powerful as well, exposing various different, uh, you know, messages uh, that, that, that aren't that aren't truthful. So, um, yeah, it's 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 so important to to encourage these types of movements and these more and more protests because the more um, the more moments like this happen, uh, the more exposure we have through media and the more action happens, both, I think, uh, for businesses, for individuals and for governments as well. What I find uh, so unique about this is, is just the atmosphere around it. We've heard the music kind of blasting past, we've got the drums now, there's helicopters swirling around, so this is going to be all over TV. Um, it's essentially a similar message to what world leaders are discussing at COP. Everyone's pushing towards the same goal. They're, they have slightly different messages, slightly different demands, but the, the, essential, the essential end goal here is save the planet. But the, the atmosphere inside empty plenary halls where it's all kind of very somber, compared to this kind of much more kind of carnival atmosphere, is great. And I suppose my question is for businesses that are perhaps sitting in between, you know, they're, they're listening to the policymakers, they're certainly listening to, to the youth and the future generations. <laughs> How do they take these kind of messages on board? What, what should really resonate with them and make them think, OK, we need to do our business differently? Yes, so I think you've really hit the nail on the head there, uh, Matt, because what happens is uh, I think the reason we've failed for 20, 30, 40 years to really engage the public is because the messages, and I have to say this as a marketer, the messages have been very poorly communicated. There's been lots of jargon. There's been, um, you know, not a lot of passion, uh, quite a bit of apathy, I think. And, you know, 
here you have on the ground, on the streets, people that are really passionate communicators that have spent hours crafting, you know, the most wonderful messages and most powerful messages. This is where the, the emotion is, is, is happening. So we need to bring some of this back into, into the blue zone and back into COP. Um, because you know, it's not, we're not going to achieve anything without the interconnectedness of um, you know various different parts of our community, governments, people, businesses. We all need to kind of work together to to, to make the to make this happen and turn the Titanic around when it comes to the climate crisis. And for the for the sustainability professionals that are listening to this episode, they're undoubtedly listening to the messages of the march. You know, they are essentially having to bridge, you know, corporate strategies which are changing but are still very much kind of entrenched into the old ways, a bit more kind of short-term thinking than the long-term access of that. Um, but they're they're essentially having to bridge the role between activists and and a kind of corporate profession. How what you know what advice did you have for them to to develop their profession to embrace the messages that we're hearing at COP? Yeah, I think I think you know it can it can often be overwhelming. I'm not gonna lie, um, because there's so much information out there, and uh, there, there are a lot. There's a lot of pressure, but at the same time, there are some real solutions that are being developed right now, and some of them are really really simple as well. Um, you know, technology has developed so quickly over the past few years, and even us at Ecology, we've actually worked out. Um, We've created a, a simple solution that we're due to launch in the next few months, which is a carbon footprinting um, tool that literally plugs into your accounting software as a business. So you see your real-time carbon footprinting uh, based on the purchases that you make on a daily basis. And it's not just this solution. There are many more solutions that are coming out, um, coming out that are efficient, that are affordable, that people can and businesses can tap into so that they can understand their impact and then once you have the knowledge, you can then act on it. So um, I think keeping keeping your ear on the ground for the best uh, technological improvements that are happening because there's more and more and more. And even on the back of COP, uh, there's going to be some exciting new announcements. So um, I would say technology is on our side and always has been and I think will we'll, we'll help us out of this. A final question then, because I realise the, the march is really starting to pick up a pace here, is what would a successful COP26 look like for you? I think a successful COP26 um, would bring in, you know, a lot more consistency uh, into the way we we talk about climate and we address uh, we address climate. I don't think it needs to be a one-year, uh, a yearly discussion on this topic with you know COP27 coming up next year. I think it needs to happen. You know, the, the momentum and the pace needs to stay where it's at right now. That's what would mean success to me because I know I've seen the numbers this week with ecology in terms of the engagement and the action that gets taken and people decide to f decide to fund climate solutions and invest in, in uh, reforestation. And I think uh, we just need that momentum to keep going so that people can remain plugged into, into the action. Um, that's what success, success will look like to me. I mean, we've seen some great announcements on methane and ending deforestation, which, which is fantastic. Uh, but we need we need to keep going. So I would say let's try and remain plugged in. Remain plugged in is a great note to end on. It does feel like the march is really big. I feel like um, I'm at that moment in the Lion King where the buffalo stampede comes on. I feel like I'm about to get trampled all over. I can't keep up with uh, with all these youth activists. So I'm going to end this interview here because it was great to see you again. So good to see you. Thank you so much for everything. OK, 
Okay, so the march has been and gone. Uh, it's swept me up uh, in its current, and I've come out the other side feeling much more tired, much more older than I feel, but also much more optimistic um, about the future and the hands that it's going to be in in terms of driving climate action. Uh, but we're not done uh, with this episode yet. I've decided to have a little rest. I've stopped by a coffee shop, um, and I'm going to be conducting our final interview for this episode uh, with a renowned sustainability leader. Uh, Eski Barsanas is the Chief Sustainability Officer at Anheuser-Busch InBev, uh, and judging from your LinkedIn posts this week, Eski, it seems like you've been incredibly busy uh, at COP with a, an array of different speeches on different topics all across the sustainability spectrum. How have you, uh, have you found the, the Glasgow experience so far? Thank you, man. Thanks for having me, and happy Friday. Um, so, yeah, it's been great. You know, it's my first time at COP, um, and, and it's actually Abe InBev's first time as well. Uh, so coming in, you know, we had a lot of expectations, and for the most part, I think those expectations are, are being met. You know, there's a lot of great momentum and energy and very good conversations that are taking place on the, the fringes of the um, uh, of, of COP, as well as inside uh, the Blue Zone, as, as you know. Uh, there's a lot of uh, negotiations and energy uh, inside side and outside and and I think we are on the right track for the most part I think this cop has seems to have achieved um, you know what it's intended to do which is you know convening people bringing even businesses uh, to the conversation and uh, instilling confidence that you know we're making progress I think yeah that confidence is, is, is much needed I think going uh, going into this we obviously had um, the the UN report about the the 2.7 C warming trajectory on I think based on updated NDCs I think we're, we're down almost below two now so we're, we're getting there but that yeah that progress needs and and as a journalist I, I found it really hard just to keep up with the sheer volume of, of announcements and as a sustainability for yourself where you're you know you're taking part in panel discussions um, and you're also trying to kind of soak up the atmosphere how how have you found kind of keeping up to date which is what's just been a, a lot of announcements at a very quick pace yeah you know I mean you can always follow the news and really read the official summaries of, of uh, the announcements and the launches that, that have been made during the day. But what I find really useful is, you know, how people interpreted the events of the day, right? So in those informal conversations in a dinner or a nightcap event, uh, when you get together and you're um, digesting what you've heard all day long and reflecting on it, I think those are the, the kind of meaningful moments about, you know, what we've seen that day and, and, and really looking forward what else we're looking for. Um, but yeah, definitely a lot of uh, a lot of panels, a lot of announcements, a lot of new coalitions, new pledges, um, which is which is quite exciting. And today is all about youth and empowerment, and empowerment can be, you know, views in many different ways. We've obviously had the the marches taking place outside the blue zone and around Glasgow today, but empowerment in general, I think, has been seen. Um, across any kind of nation quite recently from you know the the marches back in kind of 2018 when that kind of really kicked off just to you know the sheer kind of I suppose influence that consumers and staff have over businesses and what they kind of put out as products around like you know plastics for example um, and AB InBev has been a kind of real leader in sustainability in your sector for quite a while and I know I know kind of your the way that you like to communicate and engage on sustainability is is a real passion of yours so under the themes of empowerment, how, how do you feel that businesses can really take what's happening at COP and, and begin to kind of inspire real hope and, and actual tangible progress towards your sustainability goals? 
Yeah, you know, as, as the world's local brewer, as I like to call it, you know, we've got operations across 50 countries around the world. So, you know, I represent the global team here here at Glasgow, but we do have incredible teams on the ground that are in charge of uh, executing our sustainability strategy, pursuing innovation, you know, fostering partnerships across the entire value chain. And I think that's where the real value comes in because, you know, heading into COP, you had already seen the commitments and the missions that were coming out of the developed countries for the last, for the most part. Um, um, and then the developing countries, you know, we've heard some um, exciting and, and encouraging news that came out of India and Vietnam and, you know, Brazil stepped up. So I think those are the, the markets where we can really go back and say, OK, here's how you can um, invest in renewables. Here's how you can think about resilience within your agricultural supply chains. Here's how you can approach a high water stress area and really invest in nature based solutions as part of climate adaptation. Right. So I think business's role is not only pursue mitigation, which is what the conversations have been really all about, but to also build that resilience on the ground locally and invest in adaptation as well. And, um, you know, the first week, alongside all the announcements, there's been some some great kind of, I say sound bites, but actually the whole speeches have been absolutely brilliant. Um, you know, Alex Sharma has said, you know, where, where Paris promised, Glasgow needs to deliver. I mean, Attenborough's speech, the one thing I'm telling everyone is if, it, if you're too busy to really kind of say what's happening at COP, just seven minutes listen to David Attenborough's speech because it will, um, it will kind of really give you uh, a real grasp of the severity but also the opportunity around it. And we've heard some great um, other speeches about just kind of raising momentum about keeping 1.5C alive. And, and under the topic of empowerment, I want to talk to you as, as, a, as a sustainability professional. You hear, you know, all these speeches going on there. They're on the front pages of news all around the world. How does that empower you as a professional to, to kind of... Um, is it, is it kind of a nice motivational boost? Does it kind of make you reflect in any way? Yeah, I mean, it's been an incredible experience, really rewarding, um, you know, what we were seeing. And, and yes, David Edinburgh, as always, has been so inspiring and, um, you know, gave us the, 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 the right mix of urgency and optimism at the same time. And that empowering message about in your lifetime, you can reverse this, right? And and I think, you know, today is the, the Youth Empowerment and, and, and Public Empowerment Day. And I think that, that that's the biggest role we have to play, right? As the next generation leaders that are gathering around here, as the protesters that are outside marching or or the delegates that are following their high-level officials and, and actually putting numbers in brackets in negotiations, they need to feel empowered, you know, because this takes an entire um, team, an entire value chain approach, an entire country-level approach, you know, so you can't, no one person, no one nation can solve this alone. So we need to continue to empower our partner, partners. And, um, you know, this is kind of the the end of week one I know I know technically we've still got nature day tomorrow and then it's a rest day which is probably the day I'm looking forward to most to do if I'm being completely honest um, but uh, in terms of the first week you know we were discussing before we started recording there's been lots of uh, progress and, and you mentioned there's that great sense of kind of you know confidence that was much needed going into the second week though that's when the kind of the critical negotiations really start uh, around uh, article six and what but for you and and, and your company um, what does success look like for the remainder of COP26? Yeah, I would, I would say confidence is a big one, right? Because coming in, you were seeing articles or, you know, advisory notes around, hey, this COP is going to fail. And it was almost like, you know, coming in, um, you expected the delegates or the participants to come in with prejudice that this wasn't going to work out, especially after, you know, 2009 in Copenhagen. I think people have really high expectations around 
you know, what should happen for things to go to go right. And, you know, like I said at the beginning, I think for the most part, this COP has done what it's intended to do and it's sent the message out, it's convened the, the parties and it's, it's instilled that confidence. Uh, and we need to continue to do that. So I think the second week is going to uh, be even more critical to maintain that momentum, whether it's through new announcements and pledges and uh, new reasons to believe. I also thought it was quite interesting um, that the UN Secretary General also announced uh, the creation of a high-level body of sorts uh, to bring in rigor to some of the net zero commitments as well, right? Because as companies, we're all sharing that vision for a net zero future. But uh, what's been really encouraging for me, especially for us at AB InBev, which is an in incredibly target-driven organization, and we hold ourselves accountable, we bring in our sense of ownership, I think the dialogue has shifted this week around action this decade, right? Because we're all going to be around the table this decade. We don't know if in 20, 30 years, the people that are signing those agreements today uh, will be around or if they'll be responsible and accountable. So I think there's a lot of great momentum around how do you empower, again, the next generation? How do you create the modern business today to continue to pursue those innovations um, and partnerships over the next decade? Because we do need reasons to believe if we're going to ultimately uh, get to that net zero future. Yeah, that's, a, that's a really great point to end on. I think that's, the, that's definitely the soundbite of the, uh, the episode for me. Um, so, as, I mean, as, as mentioned, I understand your, um, your schedule is jam-packed and I appreciate you just coming to meet me for a, for a coffee just uh, away from the, the, the kind of the buzz of it all. Um, so much appreciated for that. And I, I did say I wouldn't keep you for too long, but it's been great to see you again. And here's hoping that next time we catch up, the, the messages from, from Copper are still kind of imprinted in the action that we're trying to leverage. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to chatting again soon. Okay, there you have it. Youth activists, panels, uh, climate marches, and a reflection from a global sustainability leader. I think we've proved today that the climate conversation extends well beyond the plenaries in the blue zone here at COP26. And it isn't just relevant to the decision makers, but that every person and each action can push us towards tipping points that don't just keep 1.5C alive, but it allows it to thrive. Uh, myself and the rest of the ED team will be back tomorrow for a nature-themed special of this episode. Uh, and I will close off with that usual shameless plug to make sure you are subscribed to this COP26 Cupboard podcast. We are publishing a new episode every day throughout COP26, catching all those big announcements and bringing you a range of exclusive interviews from the various zones of COP. Uh, as always, you can subscribe to the podcast uh, from wherever you get your podcast, iTunes, Spotify and the like. And for full information and audio links, visit ed.net forward slash podcast forward slash COP26. So, yep, as mentioned, you'll be hearing from us again tomorrow for another full roundup of series and interviews from Nature Day of COP26 here in Glasgow. Speak to you then. Goodbye.